1: And by EasternChristianMedia.com, a broadband network. For you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's Eastern ChristianMedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of
0: the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And also welcome to the carnival, to Mardi Gras, Byzantine style. Yesterday, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, as we approach Lent, is the Sunday of Meat Fair, which also can be called the Sunday of the Carnival. Carnival, of course, comes from the word carne, like incarnation, in fleshing or meat. So we eat meat today for the last time, fleshy things, as we begin to little by little divest ourselves of all those very celebrative foods, those good luscious foods that we normally eat throughout the year. We start to divest ourselves of those little by little in stages as we approach the great fast. And we do so first on this Sunday by divesting ourselves of meat. In other words, this is the last time we will eat the flesh of animals between now and Easter, now in Pascha. And so we call this the Sunday of Meat Fair in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And as we move into the great fast, it is part of the wisdom of the Eastern Church in particular that we do these things in a kind of methodical way or in stages because it's consistent with the rhythm of life. You know, with human beings, you know, we are beings that are created for a kind of a rhythm. In other words, we just don't do cold turkey. That's not very healthy. We don't rush, 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 then come to a dead stop. We don't slam on the brakes, nor do we dive into something. I know that's a kind of a way of our culture, unfortunately, but this is where some of the wisdom of the East can benefit our culture, is that we move into what is a more natural rhythm. We move into something by stages and we come to that climactic aspect of it, you know, the intensity of it, and then again, move out of it also in a kind of a gradual way. Picture it as something like a bell curve, kind of a rising action, climactic moment or the actual thing itself, and then coming out of that Phase into a more like a falling action resolution and repeating that cycle again. So, this is what's happening in the liturgical calendar as we approach the great fast, especially today. But there's also another tone today, a more somber tone, because today is also the day of the last judgment, the Sunday of the last judgment, in which we say things like this. The end draws near, my soul, the end draws near. You do not care or make ready. The time grows short. Rise up, the judge is at the door. The days of our life pass swiftly as a dream, as a flower. Then we also sing this too. When you shall come, O righteous judge, to execute just judgment, seated on the throne of glory, a river of fire will draw all men amazed before your judgment seat. The powers of heaven will stand beside you, and and in fear mankind will be judged according to the deeds that each has done. Then spare us, Christ, in your compassion, with faith re-entreat you, and count us worthy of the blessings with those that are saved. It is just some of the excerpts from the Divine Office of the Liturgical Life on this particular Sunday, the Sunday of the Meat Fair, or also Sunday of Last Judgment. Now, with the Sunday of Last Judgment, with that theme, that also brings up the question of upon what is judgment-based? And of course, we go then to Matthew 25, which is the reading for today. And our judgment is based upon whether, and this is a very, very, very good principle to live by in terms of understanding what love is. The judgment will be based upon whether or not we loved. That's right, whether we were charitable, whether we fed the hungry, gave clothes to those who were naked visited the sick and those in prison. In other words, those categories, they are specific, but they are also, in a sense, generic or universal. They refer to this one principle, that love, upon which we'll be judged, is a matter of being and doing for a person or persons whatever it is they need us to be, or they need from us. In other words, on their terms, according to their needs. And this Scripture passage, of course, is very specific about the basic needs, hunger and thirst and so on, but if you expand on them, you'll see that it really is implying every aspect of the human person, their spirit, you know, their feelings, their psychology, their physical condition, their whole person, because Christ came to save not just souls. We oftentimes use that language, which is correct, but I like to expand on that and make it a little more accurate. Christ came to save us as persons, whole persons, because in the end, remember, after the final judgment, our bodies will rise up, and we will be rejoined again. Our souls will be rejoined again with our bodies, and we'll be whole again, as we were on this earth, body and soul together, in that mysterious union, but in a way that is spiritualized, somehow transfigured, as Christ was on Mount Tabor, or as he was when he rose from the dead and entered the upper room, passed right through the door, though the door was locked, yet he still had a body, but somehow it was spiritualized. That is our great hope and our destiny. But in the meantime, we'll be judged upon whether we loved. In other words, we chose to do and to be for a person or persons in whatever way they needed us to be. That's what love is. Love is about being on the other person's terms and the terms of their needs, not what we want or how we want to love them, but how they need to be loved. And that's really what's being said here in this Gospel of Matthew, a very profound gospel and a very indicting one. Another reason why this preparation for Lent is so significant, why it's so important to live the liturgical life, especially in in the Eastern churches. It's so, so instructional. It immerses us in reality. First of all, the reality that we are going to be judged. There is such thing as judgment. And that judgment is not to be taken lightly. This is one of those times, one of those Sundays, when we really focus on what seems to be rather frightening to us. The past two Sundays were Sundays which emphasize God's mercy. But you know, His love, His judgment, in a sense, is the same as His mercy. In other words, we bring judgment upon ourselves in every moment, in every action that we make. It's not just where we're going through life, and suddenly we're going to get this big surprise at the end. Well, here was your verdict. You thought you were good, but guess what? Push the button on the elevator. It says going down. Now, it's not like that. It's more of an ongoing kind of reality, where as we were on this earth, the choices we made to love will continue on in our judgment day in the next life. So in other words, it's sort of a consistency. It's not like God is going to surprise us in some kind of negative way. But at the same time, we have to embrace judgment as a reality. We can't just callously and superficially say, as we often do in our culture today, when especially when somebody passes on, oh, they're in heaven now. Now, that might sound nice, but you know what? Actually, that's not so nice, really. Because if we say that, then it's sort of like, well, their life's a done deal. We don't have to bother with them anymore. We don't have to think about them that much or even pray with and for them. Whereas in the church, and especially This Sunday of Judgment Day, our attention is focused in a much more serious way about when somebody passes on. We continue to pray for them in the church. We pray with them and for them because God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And so we're still connected with them, even in the next life. And praying for them can be efficacious for the salvation of their soul and eventually, as I mentioned, their whole person. And judgment belongs to God. That's one of the main themes of this Sunday is that it is God who will judge us. Judgment belongs to God. We cannot judge whether someone is in heaven or not, except, of course, when they are declared saints. But the important thing is, is that we know that judgment is reserved to God. And so as confident as we might be that a person is in heaven, and we certainly have reasonable confidence, reasonable hope that somebody, especially a good person, a baptized Christian who lived and embraced that life, our friends, our relatives, we have a reasonable hope that they are in heaven. But we must never, ever make ourselves the ultimate judge because then we'll stop praying for them. And praying for them and with them is our way of continuing to love them, to be continually connected with them and to also do something that could be very, very good for their soul. I'm going to read some passages from a great book called Our Faith by Kazimir Kucharek, Father Kazimir Kucharek. It's been around for a while, but it's a classic, at least I consider it to be. It is well known, Our Faith, a Byzantine Catechism for Adults, and it's put out by otherly Press. And Father Kacharik says this, the judgment is not to be thought of as a judicial procedure in which God appears as judge, listens to charges and defense and assesses the value of a life. It is as much self-judgment as it is God's, a mysterious meaning of God in the soul, a purely spiritual event taking place wordlessly in the silence of eternity. The light of truth suddenly pierces the soul, providing it with crystal clear insight and knowledge of its own worth or worthlessness. The soul sees the import of all its earthly acts and how it came to that one final act of life which reflects either eternal love for God or eternal resistance to Him. In the light of God's utter holiness and love, the soul clearly realizes and affirms the fate for which it has fitted itself, the deserved and necessary damnation or the desired purification or the immediate eternal bliss of heaven. I'm Father Thomas loya on Light of the East.
1: Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
0: Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, and I invite you to join me on the Light of the East pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul to celebrate the canonization of Popes John Paul II and John XXIII. In addition to celebrating the sainthood of two world-renowned popes, this trip will be a powerfully moving and truly unforgettable experience of the Church breathing with both lungs East and West. We will visit major religious and historical sites of the ancient Roman and Byzantine empires and you will hear from people who actually knew these two saintly popes. I guarantee you will never see the church the same way again, and you will be making your personal contribution toward the cause in which these two popes were committed unity in the church between East
1: and West. Join Father Loya Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through October 30th for this spiritual event of a lifetime the pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul. Limited spaces reserve early by going to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com for all the details. October 21st through the 30th. You're listening
0: to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Law, your host on this Carnavali. This Mardi Gras, Byzantine style, the Sunday of meat fair, in which we will eat meat for the last time, the flesh of animals for the last time, as we move gradually into the rigors of the great fast. Next week, of course, we'll eat dairy products for the last time, and then we will be ready for our very strict, rigorous, ascetical discipline of the great fast. Before we go any further with talking about meat fair and this Sunday of judgment, I want to say hello to some friends. I was out in California recently in the Sacramento Vallejo area, and I want to say hello to all of our listeners out there, especially on Sacred Heart Radio, lots of very, very avid listeners of Lay of the East. I want to thank you for listening, and great meeting some of you. Some of you came up to me and introduced yourself as one of our listeners. Also, because especially today is the Sunday of Mead Fair, Last Judgment, in which we read the Gospel of Matthew, as I mentioned, 25, of how we have to be charitable based upon love is our judgment. And I want to say hello, especially to those who are, in fact, in prison. One of the great things about this radio program, as I have learned, is that I'm able to live that gospel, that part of the gospel that says, that we should visit those in prison. I'm able to do that through this radio program. So I want to thank you for listening. Those of you who have been in prison, who have been written to me here at Light of the East. I want to know that it is an honor for me to serve you in this way, that I can live out this gospel in this way, especially today when it is the gospel that in fact instructs us to visit those in prison. Now, I mentioned that we have this tradition in the church of understanding and teaching the reality of judgment, and also of praying for the deceased. Now, I'm going to refer once again to Father Casimir Kucharik's book called Our Faith, A Byzantine Catechism for Adults. And in it, he says this, in the East, St. Cyril of Jerusalem mentions, now St. Cyril of Jerusalem was in the fourth century, mentions that prayers for the dead were offered after the consecration in the Eucharistic liturgy. "...because we believe that those souls benefit very greatly for whom supplication is made while the holy and tremendous sacrifice lies before us." And the great St. John Chrysostom, also another Eastern father, said, "...it is not in vain that we have received this tradition from the apostles that we pray for the dead during the awe-inspiring mysteries. They, the apostles, knew how greatly advantageous and beneficial to the dead." Are the intercessions of the whole congregation and priest standing with hands lifted up before the awesome sacrifice? Will not God be appeased by our entreaties for them? And this is indeed what we do for those who have departed in the faith. That was a homily by John Chrysostom, quoted here in the book, once again, Our Faith, a Byzantine Catechism for Adults by Father Casimir Kucharik, put out by Alleluia Press. As I mentioned before, it's very relevant and timely for us to live the liturgical life of the church, in particular today, because, again, as I mentioned earlier, we have this saying, this attitude, that we're almost like an automatic into heaven. We're a shoe into heaven, basically no matter how we live. But it's not the teaching of the Scripture or the church, and certainly not in the Eastern churches during this time of the Sunday of, of the Last Judgment, because we actually benefit very much by keeping before our eyes the idea that we are going to be judged, and we don't know the outcome of that judgment. As I mentioned, God is not going to surprise us in some very sinister way, and He's not a practical joker. But at the same time, we don't know exactly our judgment or the judgment of anybody else, so we have to keep praying for them. And in fact, when we cross over into the other side, when we die, both lungs of the church, east and west, although they have different ways of articulating it, do. before our eyes the idea of a continual purgation, that forgiveness can continue in the next life in some way. Now, we don't have choices anymore there. There can be a process, and in fact, needs to be a process of purgation. Let's face it. How many of us believe that when we die, we ought to be automatically canonized saints? Fast most people, such as when they come to confession or they'll say sometimes, well, I don't really know what to confess. I live a good life. So the way I help them, and usually they make a very good confession after I say this, I'll ask them, Well, let's see. So do you think you should be a canonized saint? Oh no, no, Father, I'm not a saint. I said, Oh, okay. Well, you must know why you're not a saint. That's your confession. So we'll proceed ahead. Now, see how easy it is? <laughs> so we don't know our judgment, nor anyone else's judgment. And of course, eventually, as I said, when someone is declared a saint, a little bit different, but in the meantime Judgment goes on, and there is a kind of a cleansing, a purgation of some sort, because we pray for the deceased. Both lungs of the church do, east and west. We certainly do in the eastern churches. In fact, we have these Saturdays during Lent and one after called the Saturday of All Souls. In other words, we pray for all the deceased by name. We actually mention those deceased members of our parish, of our families, by name and we offer up prayers for their salvation. So we're very serious about praying for the deceased, those who have passed on the next life. And why else would we, except for the fact that our prayers can be efficacious, that their judgment is ongoing. We don't know when it is finalized or what the story of it is. So we keep praying for them. And also, it's a way of being united with them, of letting them know we still love them, we remember them. And we ask God to remember them by asking in our prayers, God, render their memory eternal, eternal memory. This idea of judgment also, let's face it, it helps modify our behavior. The great saints in the Eastern Church would say that if you want to go to heaven, you want to be saved, think about your own death for a few minutes every single day. Think about that. That's a (laughs) that's a powerful thought. Like all truth, simple but profound. If we thought about our judgment every day, how would we be? How would we be with our behavior? Sometimes I stop and think to myself and offer this thought to you is that if I were to draw my last breath in the next minute, because only God knows when we will leave this earth. If I were to draw my last breath, what was the last thing I said, the last last thought I had? Would I have regrets? We should live each moment as though it were our last. I'm not talking about being neurotic as though we're we're afraid we're going to die the next minute. But we should live it with as much richness as possible, to be as alive and as charitable and loving as possible, as mindful to the moment, as mindful of God, and mindful of the needs of the people in whose presence we are. So we can be, as the Gospel of Matthew says, chapter 25, charitable to them. We can provide for them what it is they need. These are all the things that should go through our mind and why this idea of a final judgment of focusing on that for this sunday is so relevant to us to our families and to our lives our society we need to be mindful that our life here is brief we're not in control of our judgment we cannot render our own verdict nor can anyone do it for us and so we must be vigilant now this shouldn't just be something that frightens us in a negative sense but it's something that i'm going to use a better word word that we use in our byzantine liturgy it should give us that grace or that gift of vigilance. In other words, stay our toes spiritually. Be alive, be awake to every moment. Because it could be our last, and we want to have no regrets. Now, another part of this week that is very significant and very appropriate is that it will end on the Saturday of the All-Holy Ascetic. The All-Holy Ascetic Fathers and Mothers. In other words, the ascetical saints. Those are people who largely were in monasticism but not exclusively in monasticism. Actually, all of us are called to a life of asceticism. That is part of what the whole great fast is about. It's our return to that ascetical dimension of our life. Yes, it's extra rigorous, but at the same time, it also brings us more close to a kind of a normality. That's right. Our lives should have much more asceticism in them than they do. And the great fast is a way of developing that. In fact, after the Great Fast, we just don't sort of brush our hands off and kiss goodbye. Well, I did that. I did Lent. Now I can go back to my chocolates or whatever. It's supposed to have kind of an ongoing, almost like a telescopic effect to it. That you return to this rigors of asceticism so as to be able to incorporate some of that back in your daily life. You know, especially that part of it that was missing, that is needed. And the asceticism basically is learning how to say no to our unbridled and fallen passions, in little ways or in big ways, and to all the passions. And the fathers of the church believe that if you could say no to the one passion of gluttony, you know, food, that craving for food, you could say no to all the others. And so they put gluttony at the top there. And that is what we focus on during this particular Sunday and as we move into Lent. Gluttony meaning not that we're all gluttons. Gluttony meaning that choice to say no to food, especially to extra food, stuff we don't really need. Just think, how many times we reach for something? Ask yourself, do I really need this? Not that you shouldn't have it, but do you really, really need it? Can you back off of it and offer that up for someone else, or give some food to somebody else, or give money that you would have spent on that food? for another purpose, for something more charitable. This is a type of thing that the rigors of Lent call us to, this kind of self-reflection. So it's not just a physical discipline. It's not just trying to do something, accomplish something. Oh, it, it it is spiritually gymnastic in its own way, yes, but that's not the point of it. The point of it is to transform us into more and more of an authentic version of our truly gloriously human self. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light
1: of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank
0: you for listening. Next week we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's Reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years.